train and send, reaching others with the life-changing good news about Jesus Christ, building committed disciples of Jesus Christ, training gospel workers. Ash looked at that last week, uh, very helpfully. It's on the website now, and now he's away on holiday. Um, I do pray for him. Sending out and supporting gospel workers is our last one. These are, uh, if you like, the four biblical priorities that we have as a church as we seek to glorify God in and through them. They are, if you like, the God-ordained means that help us towards our ultimate goal in all things. That is that God may get the glory in our church and in our lives. Reach, build, train, send. There could have been all sorts of ones, but those are the ones we kind of chose. Some of you might have a great heart to reach. That might be your great passion, your great joy. Some of you will uh, long to build others up. We have gifts for each one. Some of you may be good trainers, and that's wonderful. We're all working together. And I have always had a huge heart to send out and support gospel partners around the world. But please, as we, as we begin, note the interconnectivity, the, the relationship between these biblical priorities. Understand that a heart and a will to reach and also to send is not cultivated in a moment. If we are to reach people around us and to send others out, gospel workers out, then we need to firstly build one another up. Likewise, we must train in order to facilitate that reaching and that sending. We've got to see how all of these biblical priorities relate to each other. None can be ignored, and all of them must be cultivated and encouraged. But also we have to understand what is the essential cultivating ingredient in each one of those things. And I think each week we have tried to show that day by, the day-by-day ministry of the Word, the Bible, coming into our lives as we open it up, as we read it, and the Spirit working through that, is the essential, is the irreplaceable ingredient to all of these biblical priorities. And you're probably thinking, oh, that seems quite simple. That's a Sunday. I could go upstairs and find out that answer. It's the Sunday school answer, isn't it? Get your Bibles open. Pray. Yes. It is that daily discipline of devotionally coming before God in prayer, being humbly dependent on him and feeding on his loving word to us that will bring all the glory that God deserves to him. And that is what we need as we reach, build, train and send. There is no replacement. There's no shortcut here. There's no alternative as a church if we are to faithfully work out these biblical principles of reach, build, train and now send. Let's look at that together. Send. Sending out and supporting gospel partners. I guess it's no secret, and you'll get that as we go through this, that that I love stories of missionary endeavours. My bookshelves are full of biographies and historical accounts of missionaries leaving these shores and shores elsewhere around the world and going out bravely leaving the comfort of their own homes to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to the unreached nations of the world. Some of my heroes would be C.T. Studd, was once the England cricket captain and still has the best all-round score of all history, Uh, was the pin-up man of the Victorian era and uh, a wonderful man, but left everything and went to preach the gospel in China. Adoniram Judson, you'll hear about more in a moment, William Carey, Henry Havelock, 
Gladys Aylward, Jim Elliott, to name but a few. The stories are gripping, they're exciting. There's often danger, huge endurance and suffering. But at the heart of every one of their stories, there's an individual who has given themselves, often for decades, to make the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ known to a people, sometimes to a continent, people who need to hear the life-saving good news. So it's my passion, but we're also part of a network of churches called Commission. Uh, We're part of a network who longs to continue, if you like, that legacy of such missionary endeavour. But the reality is we are a very, very young little family of churches. And we are even a younger church ourselves. However, in our infancy, let us make this our priority. To send out and support gospel partners. Now, before we get to those uh, seven points... Uh, very quickly, let me make just one point of really purposes of clarification. What is it? What are we talking about when we send and we get to that word? Including in that, I'm basically lumping into that, everyone that we support or send from here outside of Christchurch Earlsfield. So currently we support gospel workers in this country where there is massive need. The United Kingdom is now one of the least reached countries of the world. London being one of the least reached, but actually Yorkshire being the least reached county in this country. And that is exactly why we support a guy called Lewis Allen, who spoke at our weekend away just last year. He set up a a little organisation, planting churches in Yorkshire. We support that kind of work. So that's what we mean when we say send. We're sending out gospel workers, supporting gospel ministries. We also support cross-cultural ministries and missionaries seeking to build upon gospel work already established, as Becky's really helpfully shown us in Mexico, but also in Madagascar as well, we support there. We support workers for a Christian hospital out there where they get the opportunity, whilst being doctors and nurses and everything else, to preach the gospel to the patients. It's a wonderful gospel work that we will continue to support. But let me just give you the reality of this. In Madagascar... uh, just under 50% of the population considers, consider themselves Christians. Often people confuse their faith with traditional cultic practices, but in many ways, Madagascar could actually be considered more Christian than the United Kingdom. It was the London Missionary Society in 1818 who first sent out missionaries to Madagascar and very quickly translated the Bible into Malagasy. Now, That doesn't mean we stop supporting. It's a great thing to support that work. And we will continue. But it is what we call in missionary terms a kind of a a Timothy-type missionary work. Let me explain. Timothy was the the guy who left his hometown in Lystra. You can read about that in Acts 16, verse 1, if you want to. And essentially, he became a, a church worker or working alongside other churches... Uh, in a foreign place. And the foreign place for him was Ephesus. And you can read about that in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, if you want. Timothy-type missionaries, you see, what they do is they go to a foreign country to continue a gospel ministry or to work alongside an established church there already, however small that may be. And we must continue to send support gospel ministry in those kind of settings, in kind of Timothy-type uh, missionary works. But it's also good to remember from the example of Paul. 
See, Paul wasn't called to do the same work as Timothy was. His passion was to make God's name known to the unreached peoples of the world. And he said this in Romans 15, verse 20. If you want to look at it later, you can, or now. He said he made it his ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. One of the most remarkable things that Paul ever said, I think, in his letter, particularly to Rome, was this. In verse 19 of chapter 15, he said, From Jerusalem, now think where Jerusalem is, get your maps in your head. From Jerusalem and as far around as I can never say this word, Illyricum, I have fulfilled the gospel of Christ. And then he says in verse 23, I no longer have any room for work in these regions. And basically what Paul is saying there in the end of verse, uh, chapter 15 of Romans, Romans, he's saying the work that he was doing, reaching the unreached people, was done from Jerusalem round to northern Greece. Now you think about that. That's a massive, massive area. In spite of all the unbelievers that remained in that area, he was now, as he says later in that chapter, he was going to move on to Spain. Now, how could Paul possibly say that? And the answer is simply that he always considered himself as a frontier missionary. Not just a cross-cultural missionary going to a foreign place. He was called to reach unreached people where there was no church to evangelise its own people. My point is this, I have known and know hundreds of Timothy-type missionaries. I know one Paul-type missionary. And saying all that, we are committed as a church to send out and support gospel partners in this country, around the world, to the needy, wherever they may be, to the reached in some ways, but also to the unreached as well. And the seven points that I'm about to go through very quickly, so don't panic, um, essentially give biblical reason, I think, for this. Also heart motivation, but also, I hope, the will to get things done. That is my prayer. Firstly then, we send... Because the gospel saves. You'll probably think that's a very obvious point, Andy. It is, but I think it needs to be restated. If you are a Christian here today, you understand that you have been saved for heaven by Jesus. Not because of anything that you have done, or because of who you are, or what you can offer. Ephesians says, we're, without Christ, we are dead in our sin or in our rebellion against God. But in God's lavish mercy, through faith in Jesus' life, death and resurrection, we, if we have put our trust in Jesus, can know the eternal hope of heaven. Now, my point is that you and I are not alone if we are Christians here today. If Jesus saved me He can save anyone, wherever they are in the world. Look down at Romans 1, uh, verse 16. Uh, It should be open there uh, in front of you in your Bibles. Romans 1, verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel, you see, is described by Paul, the good news. Gospel is the good news. It's described by Paul as the power 
The power of God for salvation. You have to understand that where it's come from in the Bible, even the parting of the Red Sea, even the plagues in Egypt um, are nothing compared to what God has done in saving me, in saving you for heaven. We send, you see, because the gospel is the power of God to save whoever those people are. The same God, you see, who created the world from nothing can create faith, can create hope, can create love where there's none. Creation, you see, is simply an illustration of what God is capable of in the sinful human heart. And that may be you today. And if it is, you need to ask some questions. Come see me afterwards. But if you are a Christian, remember that God has powerfully worked in you, so we send gospel workers. We support gospel ministry so the the gospel can powerfully work in others. Second point, we send because the gospel obliges us to send. We're still in Romans 1. Look down at verse 14, if you can, with me. Look at what it says, I'm a debtor. Literally what Paul is saying there is this, I'm obliged. By, um, both, uh, both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, that's the whole world, and nations in other translations, both to the wise and the foolish. And Paul is saying here is that he owes the gospel to the peoples of the world, Greeks and non-Greeks, the whole world, in knowing that the good news of of what God has done in Christ, Paul says, I've got to make it known. I'm obliged, I'm a debtor to the whole world. And the principle is simple, ownership of the gospel, if you've been saved by the good news of Jesus Christ, creates an obligation with the gospel. Likewise, Jesus, in his last words in John's Gospel, rings with a similar clarity and and power. Look what he says. He says, um, this is John 20, verse 21 and 22. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you, disciples, followers. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. God, you see, is is making us disciple makers, all of us, empowering us with his Spirit to go. Whether we are those sent or we are those who stay here in Ellsfield and support those who have gone, know the obligation. If you have been saved by the gospel, you are a debtor to the gospel and to those who have not heard the gospel. In essence, you have to ask yourself a question like this. Why? Why would you not do everything, give everything of yourself? In your power for others to know the gospel that has saved you. Send because the gospel saves. Send because the gospel obliges us to send. So, in a sense, there are two points which give us a reason to send, if you like, or to support those being sent. Now, the following two points are going to spell out the reality for us in sending and supporting gospel workers. This is a bit of a reality check for us and those being sent. Send, thirdly, despite the inevitable sacrifices. And I think broadly, and this is very broadly, the sacrifices are twofold. They're personal and they're financial. Though financial, I guess, is a subset of the personal. In the great missionary movements of the 18th and 19th centuries, the average lifespan of a missionary going from these shores to Africa and the Far East or the Near East, the average lifespan was less than two years. But thousands upon thousands left these shores to proclaim Christ. 
despite the inevitable cost to their health and often life itself. The personal sacrifices, you see, were huge. And still are today. In America, uh, in the 1700s, missionary work uh, focused primarily with a song which was inspired by it. It, Primarily, the, the work was to the Native American Indians. David Brainerd, supported by Jonathan Edwards, is probably the best known of that era. But the first American missionary to leave the shores of America was a man named Adoniram Judson. He took the gospel to Burma, now known as Myanmar. Judson suffered terribly. His first child died en route and had to be thrown overboard uh, before they first got to India and then went on to Burma. He was tortured, he was imprisoned. His first wife died early uh, whilst they were there. And seven of his 13 children also died over the following 15 years. And many, many, many of his colleagues. On one of two uh, brief visits back, Two visits in 30-something years back home. Uh, he was a single man at that point. He fell in love with a lady called Anne Hesseltine. He wrote this letter to her father to ask her to marry him. And I think you'll get an idea of the sacrifice of being sent with this letter that he wrote to his prospective father-in-law. I have to now ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring, to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness? Brightened with the acclamations of praise which shall redound to her saviour from the heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. Amazingly, her father turned to his daughter after reading the letter and said, you make up your own mind. And she did. She wrote to a friend called Lydia Kimball and she said this, I feel willing and expect, if nothing in providence prevents, to spend my days in this world in heathen lands, that's the unreached lands. Yes, Lydia, I have about come to the, deter- to the determination to give up all my comforts and enjoyments here, sacrifice my affection to relatives and friends, and go where God, in his providence, shall see fit to place me. They returned Uh, in the spring to Burma. Within one month, she became so ill that she had to then return. It was the only way that they could save missionaries at the time in in those lands. They put them on a boat and they sailed them away, hoping that they'd be restored in the sea or back home. Judson did not hear from his wife for 10 months. There's no Skype or internet at that point. And Judson described his time as 
as dying day after day for the greater good and the greater joy. Anne did return, and she died just a few years later. The personal sacrifices, you see, of being sent are huge. But don't be naive to think they're any better today. They're different. People now have machine guns. Reaching the unreached in this world is no less fraught with danger today than it ever was. The problem is we just don't do it. A friend who we support, who's currently out in the Middle East learning Arabic at the moment, who many of you met at the last year at the prayer meeting. Some of you will know him. I'm not going to mention his name for security purposes. I hope you know the reality is that we will never likely see him again. But we send. We send despite the inevitable sacrifices, so that, first two points, that the powerful gospel of salvation might be known and heard and responded to. There will also be inevitable financial sacrifices. It costs people, it costs us to train and to send people to proclaim the gospel of Christ. Judson gave all of his personal wealth to the work in Burma. He was a wealthy man, but he actually lived in poverty like the Burmese people that he was there to serve amongst. Another great hero of mine was a man named Bill Borden. A great book called Bill Borden of Yale was written about him. Bill Borden had inherited millions from his father. His father was a a silver miner in Chicago. He was one of America's wealthiest men. He was educated at Yale, so Ivy League, you know, very, very well educated. He then went to Princeton, another Ivy League university, to study theology, to prepare as a missionary. He then went to Cairo to uh, gain some training in cross-cultural mission to reach the Muslims. His intention was to go to China to preach the gospel to Muslims, uh, but he died of meningitis in hospital in Cairo, age 25. Beside his bed was his Bible, and inside the front cover of his Bible were the words written, now famous, these words, no reserve, no retreat, no regrets. Born died so young, but he literally gave everything, everything. There was, no, there was nothing left in his bank account. He didn't retreat from his gospel purpose and he died with absolutely no regrets. His millions were bequeathed to the uh, China Inland Mission and his money alone supported missionaries for decades to go to China. And there are still numerous hospitals that were built, missionary hospitals, that bear his name. They're still there today. Of course, Bill Borden knew the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. Do you remember Luke 9, 23, where Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Oh, I think Bill Borden knew. He knew the sacrifices, the inevitable sacrifices he took up his cross, personally and financially, and therefore he could write, no reserve, no retreat, no regrets. I just wonder, could we? We send despite the inevitable sacrifices, and the, the sacrifices are for the sender and the sendee. Fourthly, 
We send because it will save us from living for ourselves. The great thing about sending and supporting gospel workers is it takes our gaze off first world problems. The John Lewis catalogue or whatever it is. Living for ourselves. It gives us a heart for others and eternal things. As people saved by the gospel, we know that if you have been saved, you know that there's been this massive monumental shift in your hearts. As 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, we no longer live for ourselves, but for whom? We live for Christ. And the reality is that without God's intervention, who do I live for? Who do I think for? Who am I driven by? I'm driven. Everything is about me. But the gospel saves us. And it frees us to think of others. First and foremost of God, but then of others. that They might know him. We no longer live and work for ourselves. We live and work for others. I hope you realise that when you're slogging your guts out at work. It's not for you. It's for Christ. So that others might hear the gospel. Fred and Iris Cochran are known to none of you. There's no book written about them. There's no plaque to commemorate them. There's no memorial or statue about them. And they lived all their days in a tiny terrace house in Devon. They never owned a car. The only time they left this country was they went once on honeymoon for a week in Switzerland. They were wealthy. They were very, very wealthy. They owned a law firm. But they were humble and they always served others. They sent money, uh, building churches, and supporting missionaries all around the world. Missionaries known to, I'm sure, many of us. Gladys Aylward, one, for example, is a Hollywood film about her. They were funded by those two people for decades. They were saved from living for themselves by simply just they poured money out around the world. By sending and supporting gospel workers. Now you're probably wondering, how do I know this? I know this because my inheritance was tiny. They were my grandparents. And I'm so thankful that they did not live for themselves. But rather they gave and they supported gospel workers. Send because it will save us from living for ourselves. Uh, Now the next two points show us the reality more broadly I think in the world. Point five and point six. And they do get quicker so please don't panic. A few points on the situation at the moment in a world mission. Half the population of the world is considered unreached by the gospel. 33% of Europe is considered as such, 50% of Russia, 80% of China, and 90% of some parts of Southeast Asia are unreached, many totally unengaged. That is, at this present time, no known gospel workers at all. There are 2,200 people groups that do not have access to a Bible in their own language. The crisis exists not because the gospel is failing. The crisis exists because our sending and our supporting of gospel workers is failing. The John Lewis catalogue is winning. 
As Jesus makes it clear in Matthew 9, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. See, the extraordinary thing about Matthew 9 is, do you realise that the one who calls us to leave, to go into the harvest fields with the gospel, is himself the one who will do the harvesting. He goes before anyone that we send, or if you go, he goes before you. He does the most important work. He does the heart work. He just simply calls us to go, to speak, to say, look, let me show you about Jesus, the man who saved me for heaven. Your life or your wealth could be the answer, you see, to Jesus' great prayer. You could be the labourer. That may not be true for many of us here. I realise, you know, I'm getting pretty old. I'm rubbish at languages. I admit that. But I can support. You could be the supporter of labourers. That sixth point, send because so few people are willing. This is a very small observation anecdotal in many ways but as a church I want to suggest that we have increased our giving year on year and we praise God for that as elders our budgets have grown and we've employed more staff but I guess the most of the staff uh, that we employ really focus on the first three priorities that we have as a church to reach build and to train we recognize that and there's nothing wrong with that But our intention is always to give away more and more each year to support gospel ministers in this country and around the world. And we need staff to train to help us reach and build, but the intention will always be to continue to send and support those who have been sent. And since what I'm saying here is that that growth must be concurrent. I remember growing up in a church where we always gave, we always gave, 50% of our wealth away. Now we're not at that, but that's because we're a church, we're very much in our infancy, and that's okay. The other church I used to work at um, a long time ago now, uh, used to give 33% of its wealth away, and it kept that, but it it was a church of 50, 60, a lot older than we are. But I remember often hearing, and I have heard recently, churches justifying their kind of pitiful support of cross-cultural gospel ministry, suggesting they've always given a certain amount, a figure, and it's remained the same for 10, 15 years. But I don't need to spell that out. You're all bright enough. You realise that that is a dwindling proportion if it is just a fixed amount every year. I guess my prayer is that that is never us. Lastly, our ultimate aim, verse... Uh, seven points, seventh, we've got to the seventh. We send because God deserves the praise of all the people. I won't say this because this must be the goal of all of our lives, whether here or whether we're sending. It's the goal of every uh, missionary endeavour. Go back to uh, Romans chapter 1, if you may. Romans chapter 1 and, and verse 5. Through him, that is Christ, we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles, that's the nations, to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. You see that last little clause? We are to go or we're to support others to go to proclaim Christ to all the peoples of the world, all the Gentiles, that's all the nations there in other translations, 
so that they might hear the gospel and put their trust in Christ. That's the aim of our endeavours. But we do it with inevitable sacrifices, but we do it, what does it say right at the end of the verse? For his name's sake. That is, we do it, solo day of glory, for the glory of God alone. He saved us in Christ. Does he deserve any less? Look, I've, uh, I admit, um, while my time's up and I want to stop, um, I have some questions perhaps. There's been a lot of stick. Let me finish, if you can, with a few carrots, uh, if, if I may. I mentioned David Brainard at the beginning. Um, he died at the age of 29 of consumption, coughing up, you know, it's horrible. He was a missionary to the Native American Indians. His life was short, and he was always in pain, by the way. Um, tuberculosis, and he was uh, chronic depressive. But he took the gospel to Indians, and in the end, on the banks of the Delaware, many, many, many hundreds of Native American Indians were saved through his ministry and through his pain. He died in Jonathan Edwards' house. Edwards took his journals and his diaries, and he wrote... The Life and the Diary of David Brainerd. If you haven't got your holiday read sorted, it's 99p on Kindle. Buy it. It was first published in 1749. It has never been out of print since. It has inspired countless missionaries, including William Carey, Jim Elliot, and hundreds and hundreds of others, it's influenced so many generations to go to be sent. I mean, you kind of look at it and you go, all of it, was it worth it? Yes. Wonderful, wonderful ministry. An inspiring ministry. He said this, Oh, that I may never loiter on my heavenly journey. May that be true of us. Adoniram Johnson, who I mentioned, was in Burma for 30 years or more. He suffered so terribly, and it seemed that his ministry bore so little fruit. I'm trying to say at the end here, why, why do we bother? Oh, come on, you know, it seems like pointless. I mean, it's like, we send all this, we spend all this money, and like, nothing seems to happen, and so on. So little fruit. Judson was there for 30 or more years, and at the end of his ministry, at his death... There were estimated to be less than 50 Christians in the whole of that country. And some dared to say, that wasn't worth it. Today, there are now millions upon millions of Christians in Burma, now Myanmar. Every single one of them opens up their Bibles every morning. And they see inside the front cover written these words. Translated by Adoniram Judson. And you have to ask, was it worth it? Was the sacrifice too much for Judson, his family and his colleagues, uh, who, those who financed him for decades to the tune of like, so much money? Well, I've met some of these people, some of these Burmese Christians, and with tears, every single one of them will tell you that they owe that man everything. He gave them everything. He gave them his life, his comfort, his wealth. But most importantly, he gave them 
the word of God in their language so that they might hear the life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ. I've said enough. I wonder if I'm, I'm going to stop there.